We've been speaking about walking in Jesus' way. And last week we said we want to love God. And if we do that, we want to love the lost, right? And we're going to talk about that uh, the second part this morning. So remember, it's easy for our faith to be the best kept secret in town. Our church to be the best kept secret. It's what you do quietly on the weekends. And we want to be those that are able to trumpet to make sure that people know. I said last week that as quick as you can, wherever, whatever spheres you're working in, whether it's at work or in a social circle, as quick as you can, let people know that you love Jesus and it gets easier to stand for him. It's very hard after three years of knowing someone to say, oh, by the way, I'm a Christian. Yeah. And if you get it out quickly, then they'll understand you a little bit better. Oh, that's why you act that way. Ah, now I understand, right? Don't have to be Billy Graham then with a tent to tell people about Jesus. You can just be you and love those around you and reflect Him well. And so we said that our position in Christ, we are loved by God. He sent Jesus, His Son, to save us. But we also, because of that, have a purpose in Christ to display His love to those around us. So, um... John chapter 14, verse 1. Let's read it together. It says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. And the reason Jesus said that was because their hearts were troubled, right? If you have to say, do not let. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. uh, If it was not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. I find great courage in that because it's not my responsibility. All I've got to show people is where Jesus is because they come to the Father through Jesus, right? Not through Craig Mayer or you. But through Jesus. And so all I've got to do is point people to Jesus in my actions, in my lifestyle, the way I am, wherever I am. And so let me give us a quick recap and then today we do the part two. Um, We said last week that if we follow Jesus' way, we need to remember these things. We need to remember that it's His way. That it's His way. We follow according to the way He wants us to walk. We said it's a recognizable way. There should be no undercover, undercover Christians. Camouflage is just to make us look good on the outside. It's just for fashion. It's not to hide. It's a meaningful way. You heard James speak about that uh, at their life group. And it's an uncomplicated way. It simplifies my life when I know which way I'm going. I don't have to worry about the rest of the map, just the route that I'm on. Then we said, if uh, we want to go Jesus' way, it's the way of love for the lost. How does how do we love God like Jesus did? We said we always give God priority in everything. We surrender our will completely to the will of God. We love God with devotion. And then once again, we represent Jesus well. So last week we spoke about Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well. And we looked at the interaction that he had with her as using Jesus' example of how um, we were able to love the lost. And uh, I asked us that we would be a little more aware of who's waiting at the wells that we might pass during the week. I hope you've been looking at looking for wells. I hope you've been 
pausing. Uh, I was tempted to bring the, the water cooler and set it up here because very often in the business place, what's the well? It's not something with a bucket. It's probably got a button and coffee comes out or some water. You gather around for that gap in between the work day. Uh, one of the yeah, you know, I went to I went to a guy's workplace a little while ago, a couple of years ago, and they had a full kitchen, and they actually did breakfast together. You could open the cupboard and get your post toasties, and I could have my rice krispies, and you could have your kran flocker, and we could have um, breakfast together. And so maybe that's the well in the office. Yeah, maybe it's tea time, and there's this this moment, and you can hey, we've got a gap. Maybe it's time for me to engage like Jesus did at that well. We said um, last week that Jesus had to overcome some challenges in his interaction with this, this lady. There were cultural challenges, there were class challenges, there were custom challenges. And remember these days we've got to be careful because probably more than cultural, I think the culture, culture is still an issue, but more than kind of the culture that we think of, this world culture, we talk about philosophy, we talk, think about our ideas, and we're very quick to hate each other just because we have a difference of opinion, right? And so sometimes we've got to allow someone else to have even an offensive opinion in the short term so we can show them our love, right? Just because you think differently to me. I mean, can you imagine every person that Jesus met with thought differently to him? So did we when we didn't know Jesus. Said so we went on to we went on to say, well, you look for the need. So Jesus looked at this lady. He knew there was a physical need. She was thirsty. So was he. That's why they were at the well, <laughs> right? The second thing is then he started to talk about the spiritual need, and uh, for her it was guilt and defiance. She was running from the Lord, living a life very anti what God would want. That was a spiritual need, but he knew below that there was an emotional need, that her quest for freedom um, and self-expression had left her more empty. She was pursuing relationships and self-gratification, and yet it left her more empty than she understood. And instead of Jesus judging her, he shows her who he is. And then the third thing we said is you anticipate a response. First of all, it will be a surprise. So when you're telling people, when you're pointing people to Jesus and they're surprised, just relax. It's okay. It's part of the process. Yeah? Part of the process. The second thing is they'll probably be quite selfish. So she says to Jesus, he said, well, I could give you water that will, you'll never be thirsty again. She said, well, give me that water because I'm tired of coming with my bucket. And very often when you first start talking to people about Jesus, it's quite selfish, our approach. Okay, well, hook me up. Uh, you know, we kind of want this cosmic Father Christmas to sort our lives out. But you just keep going a little bit. If that's what sparks the interest, that's okay. It's okay. And then there was the spiritual awakening where she began to wonder, wow, this could be the Messiah, the, the, the one that the um, Jews have told us is to come. So John chapter 15, you can open your Bibles to John 15. Jesus tells three beautiful stories of lostness. And so he's talking about loving God and loving the lost. He tells three beautiful stories about lostness. In verse 4, he talks about this lost sheep. He says a shepherd had nine, uh, 100 sheep. Uh, one wandered off on his own, so he left the 99, and the shepherd went to find the sheep. Notice, the sheep didn't find the sheep. The shepherd went to find the sheep, right? 
the sheep wandered off. Um, and then it says, when he found the sheep, he came back and he had a celebration. And everyone in the story is filled with joy. There's a rejoicing that happens when even one that was lost is now found. The next uh, 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 parable that Jesus tells us in verse 8, he says, this lady had 10 coins. And all of a sudden she realized, I don't know, maybe she was balancing a checkbook these days, uh, you know, at the end of the month, John 15, 8. Did I say four? Oh, there we go. You see, I didn't even notice you there, Philip. Well done. It's so cool to have you back with us. There we go. Now you, are we all back? Luke 15. Thank you. Luke 15. Lost sheep is verse four. Lost coin is verse eight. Teamwork this morning. Thank you. And, um, this lady had ten coins. And maybe she was kind of doing her accounts at the end of the week or the end of the month. And she notices she had 10, but one's missing. So the Bible says she, she puts on a lamp and she gets out a broom and she turns the whole house upside down until she finds that coin. And when she finds that coin, it's amazing. Maybe life has changed because in my world, uh, I've never heard my neighbor say, Yay, I found that missing, missing thousand. Come and have a celebration with me. You always know what happens when you when you let people know you've come into some money, eh? <laughs> like, mm, oh, really? <laughs> but she was so joyful, she was so relieved, so filled with joy that she'd found what was missing, that she couldn't contain her excitement. Yeah? Uh, you notice the coin didn't wander off. The coin didn't lose itself. Somehow in the busyness of life, something was misplaced. With a sheep, this one sheep wandered off, got lost on its own. With a coin, it got misplaced. We thought it was in that purse. We thought it was in that drawer. When I went there to look, I realized in the busyness of my life, what was valuable to me was misplaced. And I turned my house upside down to find it. Have you ever put, like, opened, maybe it's winter again, and you put that jacket that you last wore six months ago when it was cold, put your hand in your pocket, and there's a, there's a couple of bucks in that pocket? You're like, thank you, Jesus. This is amazing. It's like a miracle. Hey, maybe it was just forgetfulness. Maybe the Lord had to work it so that you would forget so that in six months' time He could miraculously give you some money. You with me? That's such joy. Both of those first two parables, the, the, the overriding kind of moral of the story, it, the focus is less on what was found and the, the, the joy, one with the Father and with the person that found it. Then Jesus says, man, because remember this, we would have all understood this. So Jesus says, sheep, yeah, the shepherds are going, yeah, we get it. Money, everyone gets money. Then he says, so how about a son? And he tells the story that today we know as the prodigal son or the lost son. Remember, there are two brothers. And this one boy, he says, I've had enough living in my dad's house. He was the difficult second son. Looking around. <laughs> I heard someone introducing themselves the, the other day. They, they said, you know, like uh, they were talking about who they were. They said, well, I was the middle child. And I thought, oh, here we go, you know. And so this boy was very aware that he was the second son. He wanted to, he thought he could do better in his life than what had been provided for him, right? So he willfully chooses to go a different way. The sheep just wandered off. This got lost, I don't know, followed a green path of grass and around a bush and down a thing. And next thing, he was on his own, bleating. 
The money was just misplaced in the busyness of life. The son chose. This is the path. This is the way I'm choosing that way. This is interesting. The shepherd left 99, went after the one. The lady turned her house upside down and was more happy when they got the one than the nine that they had. The father is very different in this story. The father waits. He waits in faith. His heart is broken, but he waits. And what happens when the, when the boy comes back? Man, the father is so, so quick to rejoice that he's almost too quick for the son. The son's like, no, hold on, hold on. I don't deserve this. The dad says, man, I'm just so excited. And the point of Jesus telling these three parables is, yes, we get lost in many ways. Yes, we need to be found. There's different ways we find different lost things. But if the, 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 the moral of each story was that there is great joy when what is lost becomes found. You notice, God celebrates with the finder. Isn't that cool? And so you and I have this opportunity to walk Jesus' way, to love God, and to love the lost. That when we find that which is lost, we can rejoice with the Father. And that's the invitation for us today. I'd love you to turn with me to Acts chapter 16. We're going to look with the time that I have left. We're going to have a look at four different kinds of people who were lost and how God brought about them being found. My point this morning is to show you and I that we come from, we, 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 we come from different circumstances. We meet different people. And sometimes we're overwhelmed. We think, I don't know how to talk about this to this person but the Bible helps us. Jesus shows us with the Samaritan woman. And in Acts, we read different um, uh, ways how we can help people find Jesus, those that were lost to be found. You've got Acts chapter uh, 16. We've got on the screen, we'll read in a moment. But the Acts chapter 16, remember, was the, was the outworking of um, Paul and Silas going through Asia. They'd gone tried to find a place in ministry. They got to the end of Asia. We spoke about this in our Philippian series. They cross over. They get to Philippa. So this is the moment. As much as we did the Philippian series, this is the beginning of it all. And so it, uh, we, we, read, we read here, one of those, so they go, they get to Philippi. Um, they go looking for a place of prayer. And uh, we know that Philippi was, was uh, there wasn't great op- openness to God because there would have been a, uh, if there were 10 Jewish men who were married, there would have been a, a, a temple. But there wasn't, there was a place of prayer. So they go to this place of prayer and they begin to share there and they say, one of the women listening, uh, one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatria named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So we got, we're going to talk about four different approaches to four different kinds of people, uh, each needing to be pointed to Jesus. Remember? Often when we talk to persons, to, to people, their response will first be surprise, then it'll be selfishness, then spiritual awakening. So we just got to keep going. Keep your smile on your face. Keep your heart open. And so here we have uh, Lydia 
So they arrive in Philippi, and they go to the place of prayer. You know the beautiful thing about this story? That Lydia is the first, uh, first recorded convert in Europe. So because they followed God, before, because they found this lady and they knew how to respond to her, we have the first person in the whole of Europe that we have recording um, that she was born again. So racially, this lady would have been Asian. She came from Turkey, from modern-day Turkey. And um, economically, she was well-off or rich. She was a business owner. She had come from one continent to another continent to continue uh, her, her, her business. So uh, it would, I mean, she would have been a lady of means. Uh, she would have been a businesswoman. She would have had, interestingly for the time, she would have had the power of her own choices. You've got to have means to be able to choose, you know. When you've got five rand, you can choose. Do I spend two rand on this and three rand on that? When you've got no rand, you don't have the choice. Understand my point? When you're a business person, you can choose. Am I going to Europe or am I going to Africa? I've got choices. I, I, I have a sense of power over my own life. And very, yeah. Spiritually, we are told she was a God-fearer. Now, the Jewish system, Gentiles were accepted to worship God. There was space in the temple for them in the outer courts. And um, you would have people that would become God-fearers. They had a heart for the Scriptures. They had a heart towards God, but they hadn't become what is called a proselyte. In other words, as Gentiles, they hadn't fully subscribed to the Jewish faith. Okay, So they were somewhere in between. They were, were, were understanding there is a God. I want to worship. Something inside of me draws me towards God. But I haven't quite yet Committed to Judaism, I'm somewhere on that journey. And so this is where this lady was. She was a God-fearer, moral, religious. She believed in God of the Bible in a general intellectual way. And she shows spiritual interest immediately. She's quick. She's at the place of prayer. Tell me about this more. And so what's the ministry approach to someone like that? How do you help someone who's lost but kind of searching? How do you help them? Well, Paul responds with words to this lady. Responds with words. She, he begins to teach and expounds about the Bible uh, with a Christocentric, in other words, Jesus-focused. Takes from a religious understanding to the truth of who Jesus is, gospel Christianity. She's an educated woman, so she needs to understand the argument, the thesis. She needs to understand who is this Jesus that you're telling me about. And so Paul, with words, points her to a new understanding of who Jesus is. You might be saying, hmm, I wonder if I have someone that's good with words in my life that's standing near a well. You see, that kind of person doesn't, you don't, can't just, oh, you know, just have faith. No, 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 tell me about how I have faith. Tell me about some scriptures. How, who am I talking to? So the first approach uh, to the first person is this lady, Lydia who is um, intellectual, she has means, and they respond to her with words. The second, we see in verse 16, they come across the slave girl. They come across the slave girl. In verse 16 uh, of Acts chapter 16, it says, Once when we were going to the place of prayer, so they were going back to that place, uh, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. That's not the Holy Spirit, right? Just in case... You misread. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. Can you understand the picture? Remember those days, patriarchal society. Ladies didn't feature very high. 
That amazes me. Very often today we look at the Bible and say, oh, Bible is chauvinistic. No, everyone. <laughs> Jesus had ladies part of his team. Paul had ladies part of his team. <laughs> yeah? It's amazing to me how the Bible elevates the position of ladies, of women, right? And so in this culture, that woman would have been bought with, with, a, with money. She would have been the owner's possession. That man would have had absolute power to do anything to, with, or through her, right? Somehow she is demon-possessed in a way that she can foretell the future. And so the, the um, owner uses her to make, a li- make money from her. I mean, just picture the setup here. You think your boss uses you to get money out of you, and it's tough, right? No. It says she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting. So notice this girl meets them at the place of prayer. Then she follows them shouting. We go back to Jesus, the woman at the well. First of all, surprise. Second of all, self-interest. Third of all, spiritual awakening. These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved, she says. Yeah? This kept up for many days. Finally, Paul came. You see, she was... Finally, Paul, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and he said to the Spirit, notice, not to the girl, to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. The slave lady instantly set free. The amazing thing, she might still have had to return to that house, but she was free. Yeah, she was free. So racially, this lady, the reason I'm pointing these things out is because you and I come across different people. Where we come from sometimes uh, determines who we are. I met a guy, in, a young guy in uh, France. He was, uh, been, he was part of a church in Germany, but he originally came from, I think, the north coast of South Africa. From, I don't know, somewhere there. I originally come from the south coast. It's amazing. If you've lived at the beach a little bit, it's amazing what you have in common. Notice, three countries away. I met this young guy. We start talking. I'm just having fun chatting to him. This other guy walks up to me and says, wow, do you guys know each other? I'm like, no, we've just met for the first time. He's from Germany. I'm from South Africa. We're standing in France. He's like, no, man. It sounds like you grew up together. Like you just, when you know a person's background, you have something in common. When you have something in common, it's so easy to talk to each other, right? And so that's why we talk racially. This lady would have been a native Greek. Economically, she was poor. She was exploited. She was powerless. Spiritually, she was desperate. She was in bondage. She wanted to be free of the pain, so she followed them. She wouldn't let them go. She runs after Paul. So what's their ministry approach to someone like this? Well, you notice they didn't say, let's open our Bibles and have a Bible study because it worked with Lydia, so let's tell you about the Old Testament. No, what does he do? He turns around, takes authority. His response is prayer and power. Prayer and power. If you're riding in a car with someone and you're about to get hijacked, you don't need to say, let's turn to page, chapter, hey? So I think one of you guys was saying the other day, they had a problem in the car and all you couldn't pray, all you could say was Jesus. Mm-hmm. 
Friends, when there's a person around you that's in bondage, that's maybe sick, I need to discuss. Oh, let's discuss. Have you been eating right? You know? The vegans, have you been eating meat? The meat eaters, are you a vegan? You know, all of those kinds of discussions. Irrelevant. It's, it, Paul doesn't say, is it a big demon? Is it a small demon that's inside of you? Can you, can you, know, into the, can you talk two weeks into the future or just one week or a month? Can we have some details? There's no details. There's prayer and power. And you might be faced with someone at your well. And they are under pressure. You can see they're not free. They're bound. And you might not have the courage to say, well, I'm going to have the power, but you can definitely do the praying. Yeah? You see? This lady in an instant was freed from demonic domination, freed from economic domination. Isn't that a denomination? Isn't that amazing? Suddenly she receives inherent nobility and value, more than just what she can make money. This slave girl needed deeds of service and liberation. You might bump into someone that says, man, I'm so sick. I just can't kick this thing. It's bothering me. I'm taking all my money to get better. You don't have to say, in Jesus' name. You just say, man, do you mind if I pray for you? Just create an opportunity for God to do something. You might even maybe feel the bridge isn't so strong. You say, listen, man, I'm going to pray for you when I go home. Or tomorrow you say, hey, I prayed for you yesterday. How are you? You understand the approach? First is an intellectual, you use words. The second is someone in bondage, you use prayer and you use power. Number three, uh, where am I? Number three, verse 25, there's a whole bunch of prisoners. <laughs> so we go from two ladies to a bunch of prisoners. Verse 25, we read together, it says, uh, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Remember the story? They bounced around the whole of Turkey, not able to do the ministry they wanted to, not able to serve God how they thought he wanted them to serve. They got to Troas, they had the vision, they went over the, over the shores, they started evangelizing. Two people got saved and now they're in prison. Okay, about midnight, I'd like to talk to you at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Doesn't tell us what the prisoners were saying. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. Can I say to us this morning that how we face trials and setbacks is a testimony to those who observe us. This little crew had faced trial after trial and setback after setback, so much so that they felt the Lord was against them. And here they are still worshiping in the jail. They'd been flogged. <laughs> I mean, they wandered around Asia. They'd arrived in Europe. They were flogged, thrown into prison, into the inner cell, and their feet were put in stocks. Now it seems like their, their mission was going to fail. And there they are, praising and singing hymns. All I had to do was praise. All I had to do was worship. <laughs> I would guess that some of you have been thoroughly bumped and bruised by life over the last while. As were these guys. In the prison. I don't know what their mindset was. Like, yay, we get to worship. Or maybe it was like, I don't know what else to do. I better worship. And in that moment, God breaks through. The prison doors open. 
the two of them are free. You know what the coolest part is? Whose chains fell off? Everybody's. When you and I worship, when you and I praise, and the chains fall off, us, fall off of us, they can fall off of others too. Racially, the prisoners listening would have been mixed race. People from all over, possibly far from home. Economically, they were criminals. They were in jail, right? Spiritually, they would have been hardened, self-reliant, street smart, difficult characters. Yes? They didn't need... <laughs> I'm just thinking, they, uh, they didn't need sweet words, you know, promise box thoughts for the day. Yeah? Oh, just praise the Lord. Hey? <laughs> I'm thinking, maybe they didn't, you know, if, if Paul and, Bar- and Silas tried to exorcise them, come out, all the prisoners. Yes, I'd like to come out. He, uh, maybe that was the right, you know? Here's my point. What was the ministry approach? What was the ministry approach? How did Paul and Silas point these guys to Jesus? Testimony in trial. Trial after trial after trial after trial. They're still looking to Jesus. They're still worshiping. These prisoners must have thought these guys are crazy. <laughs> like with Jesus... The prisoners would have known that Paul wasn't guilty. He shouldn't have been there. And instead of getting bitter or abandoning God, they turned to God in praise. Now, can I just say, you don't have to be super spiritual. Oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> you know? You've had a long week and now the boss says, you're not going home at five on Friday. We've got a crisis. You're going to work all night. You know, you don't need to quote your favorite psalm to your colleague and say, praise Jesus. But our testimony in trials points people to Jesus. Brings about our freedom, brings about theirs. The last one is the jailer. He's the ringleader of all of this, right? Verse 27, it says, The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought his prisoners had escaped. And the punishment for letting the prisoners go would have been death. So he thought, I'm going to kill myself, not trusting these Romans to do the job. Verse 28, but Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Don't you love this? He would have angrily bound them up, put them in stocks, thrown them in the inner cell. He would have said, yeah, take that. And now everything turns around. He runs to them, trembling. (laughs) Verse 30, he then brought them out and asked them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Isn't that cool? You see, he was expecting the prison to break open, Paul and Barnabas to disappear, scornfelt, this dude like, gone. And all the other prisoners to duck down the road. His life on the line because of that. They were set free, but they were still there. You understand? Sometimes you and I, (laughs) sometimes you and I are there because of the other people, not necessarily us. Mm Mm-hmm. And that, if you have a sense of justice in your heart, saying, God, I don't deserve this. He says, exactly. He says, that's not fair, Lord. Exactly. It wasn't for Jesus either. I've put you in that place because there are people waiting for you at that well. And they might be intellectual. You help them with words. They might be uh, 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 bound and, and oppressed. You help them with prayer and with power. They might be difficult characters. You help them with your testimony and trial. And there might be this kind of guy, hey? 
Racially, he was a Roman. Economically, he would have been blue-collar, working class. Spiritually, he was disinterested. Nothing to this, nothing more to this life than just looking after prisoners and you know, eat, making money and eating food. That was it. He wasn't interested in spiritual things at all. What was this, the approach? What was the approach? It wasn't quoting long verses. It wasn't with him. The approach was their example. Singing in the face of suffering, kindness in the response to cruelty, integrity in the company of criminals. They didn't escape and put him at risk. Down to earth, he needed a practical example of godly life. You know the beautiful thing? His response is, what must I do to be saved? And him and his whole family baptized. Lydia's response, tell me about Jesus. Her and her whole household baptized. Four different kinds of people. I'm guessing you and I will bump into many kinds of people. If God's put you at that well, he's probably given you the right thing to say. It might be words. It might be prayers or power. It might be your testimony in the place of trial. It might just be your example. The response might be surprise. (laughs) Jesus? It might be selfishness. What can I get out of it? Spiritual awakening will come. So friends, this morning, I don't know if you're at a well. (laughs) I don't know if you're wondering about, is it all worth it? I want to say to you that Jesus has the right way to talk to you, to explain to you what you need to know. If you're far from God this morning, he's got the right way to show you who he is. If you and I want to follow Jesus, love him, we'll love those who are far from him, the lost, that we can rejoice when the sheep, the coin, and the son come home and we've had a role to play. Let's stand together. Remember I said last week, is your Christianity, if you're a believer, is your Christianity becoming a little humdrum, a little boring? Man, when we find someone at the well and we point them to Jesus, everything changes. When we wonder, should I go to church this week? When it becomes, I've invited this person to church. When our job is like, ah, do I have to go there and work again? Or is Jesus sending me there because there might be some people at wells? Everything changes. Father, as we stand before you this morning, We thank you, Lord, that you want to rejoice with us as lost sheep, coins, and sons and daughters are found. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to have our eyes open, to notice those waiting at the well, those that are in the jail, those that are in every part of life. I pray, Jesus, that you would help us see ourselves as your agents sent for a purpose that we would complain less about our circumstances and look more for those that need your help. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, God bless you. We're going to...